Hey there, you're listening to The Quint. The problem of reforming the United Nations Security Council is similar to a sickness, where a number of doctors gather around a patient. They all agree on the problem, but they can't agree on the prescription. The diagnosis is clear. The Security Council reflects the realities of 1945, not of today. Hi, I'm Vishnu Gopinath. And I'm Viraj Gaur. And you're listening to a special podcast on The Quint. The United Nations was founded on 24 October 1945. And 75 years since it was formed, there's one question that needs answering. This podcast is based on an opinion piece by Shashi Tharoor written for The Quint. And together, Viraj and I will try and answer the question, is it time for the UN to reform? If you like this podcast and you want to hear more like it, subscribe to the Quint's podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeoSavan, Spotify or any of the other platforms that we're on. Anyway, the UN was founded in 1945. And in that year, the UN Security Council had just 11 members. Mm. The total number of countries in the UN, 51. In other words, only 22% of the members were actually on the Security Council. Today, there are 193 countries in the UN and only 15 of these countries are members of its Security Council. And mathematically speaking, that's less than 8%. So, Tharoor says, a few of these countries, okay, a lot of these countries feel like they're not adequately represented in the UNSC. He also says that the way the Security Council is made, that is the composition of the Security Council, gives undue weightage to the balance of power that existed back in the 1940s. For instance, he says, Europe, which accounts for barely 5% of the world's population, controls 33% of Security Council seats. And the five permanent members, US, Britain, France, Russia and China, have the permanent membership and veto power over any council resolution or decision, just because they won a war 65 years ago. And don't forget, in China's case, the word won needs to be said more like quote-unquote won the war. They won the war. So, Tharoor goes on to say, clearly the Security Council could use some reform to bring it up to speed in the 21st century. Now, let's be honest, the United Nations isn't stupid. They'd recognized the need for this action earlier. That's why in 1992, they established the open-ended working group of the General Assembly to look into this issue. Tarur says that the hope back then was to make a solution in time for the 50th anniversary of the organization in 1995. But the UN has missed not only its 50th anniversary, but its 70th anniversary also, which was in 2016. But he adds that if these countries are left to their own devices, the member states of the UN will most likely still be arguing about the merits and the demerits of why they should do this well beyond the UN's 100-year anniversary. So, in other words, the UN Security Council is ripe for reform. But there is a problem with that. And it's quite simple. For every state that feels it deserves a place on the Security Council, there are 10 who know that they won't benefit from any reform. The small countries that make up more than half of UN membership have accepted this reality and they're content occasionally competing for a two-year non-permanent seat on the Security Council. But... Tharoor adds that the medium and large countries which are rivals of the prospective beneficiaries deeply resent the idea of a select few countries breaking free of their current second-rank status and moving up in the UN. Quite a few of them, whether they are driven by a spirit of competition, 
historical grievance, or just simple envy have united and formed an effective coalition to put an end to any attempt to reform. And amending the UN's charter is no simple task either. Any amendment requires a two-thirds majority of the overall membership. In other words, 129 out of 193 member countries in the UN General Assembly have to agree to make any amendment a part of their charter. And an amendment would also have to be ratified by two-thirds of the member states, including the five permanent members, you know, the ones that are already existing. And don't forget, what this would do is make their powers more diluted. In other words, this would dilute their power. So, a long story short, it's quite a tall order to get this done. So how do you find a formula acceptable to two-thirds of the countries and not unacceptable to the five permanent member countries? Which country would be put on an expanded Security Council if it was allowed by an amendment? Obviously, Saru says, it would be the states that displace some weight in the world and have a record of making major contributions to the UN system. Japan and Germany are the second and third largest financial contributors to the UN. By the way, the UN Charter, which was drawn up in 1945, still calls them enemy states, since the UN was set up by Allied powers who won World War II. So anyway, perhaps Japan and Germany would make sense given their large financial input to the UN. Well, when these two began pressing for permanent seats, Italy responded by saying, what's all this talk about Japan and Germany? We lost the war as well. And that aside, neither China nor South Korea is keen on Japan being a permanent member given its record of horrific atrocities seven decades ago. True, and apart from these concerns, adding Japan and Germany to the council would also skew the existing north-south imbalance. So, Tarur says, they would have to be balanced by new permanent members from the developing world. And where do you look for these members? Take a guess. In Asia, India as the world's largest democracy its fifth-largest economy and a long-standing contributor to the UN's peacekeeping operations seems an obvious contender. But Pakistan is extremely opposed to this, and Pakistan, well, it has China backing it. In Latin America, Brazil occupies a place similar to India's in Asia, but Argentina and Mexico have other plans, especially since Brazil, unlike the rest of the continent it's in, speaks Portuguese predominantly, not Hispanic. And finally, Tarur asks, in a continent like Africa, how do you decide between the credentials of the continent's largest democracy, which is Nigeria, against its largest economy, South Africa, and its oldest civilization, which is Egypt? Which is why India, Japan, Brazil, and Germany, aka the G4 nations, have been pressing the UN for permanent membership, along with membership requests for the three African nations, Egypt, Nigeria, and South Africa. But Tharoor goes on to say that he believes that the Security Council has to change sooner or later. Because, he says, the best argument for reform is that the absence of reform could discredit the United Nations itself. He adds that reform is essential because what looks like an anomaly today will just seem absurd tomorrow. He says, Imagine in 2020, a British or a French veto of a resolution affecting South Asia with India absent from the table, or a move affecting Southern Africa with South Africa not voting. Who would take the UNSC seriously then? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what American diplomats like to say. Which is fine for them, but to most of the rest of the world, Tarur says, the Security Council is indeed broken. And the more it's called upon to take decisions that affect many countries, like say, authorizing wars, declaring sanctions, or launching peacekeeping interventions, the greater the risk 
that its decisions will be seen as made by an unrepresentative body and rejected as illegitimate. In conclusion, Tharoor says that the United Nations is the one universal body we all have, the one organization to which every country in the world belongs. If it is discredited, the world as a whole will lose an institution that is truly irreplaceable. And that's not just about India. The future of the whole world is at stake. And with that, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Thanks for joining us on this special podcast. I've been Vishnu Gopinath. I'm Viraj Kaur. And we will see you later.